Hello, everybody. Welcome to Vineyard Community Church. It's good to be together today. Um, this will be video for everybody today because uh, I'm going to be out of town this week. And, and I wanted to just continue and present this material to you uh, that we've been doing on the Kingdom of God. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very excited about this particular topic. And so I want to keep on uh, pressing on. So we thought we'd just come and uh, do the video presentation for you. And, and then uh, we'll show it uh, here in Big Pine, in Key West, and uh, in Williston and Ocala at the appropriate times. Uh, and so you should have today um, this uh, sheet. Uh, it's probably hard to tell up here, but uh, has the diagrams on it. All right. It's two, two sides to it. Turn it so that you've got diagram one on the top, very small diagram. Make sure you have that. You notice in your bulletin, there's just a lot of verses listed in your bulletin. Um, uh, and I'm going to be reading those to you. I want to encourage you to look them up uh, in the weeks ahead uh, because they're all critical to uh, this discussion on the kingdom of God. And uh, what we mean when we say the kingdom of God, how important it is. And, and uh, as we've been saying from the beginning... It was central to the ministry and the message of Jesus. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is here, and then his ministry backed it up. And so I want to talk about all of this uh, in the weeks ahead. And I think a clear understanding of the kingdom of God helps us to understand all of Scripture and how it all fits together and what was really going on. And uh, I've said we're going to finish, when we finish this study in the weeks ahead, I want to do one right behind it. Uh, we'll probably call the story, and we'll, we'll look how everything ties together from the beginning to the end throughout the Scripture. But this concept is, is uh, vital, this understanding of the kingdom, is vital to understanding not only the, the Word of God, but to understand the, the ministry of Jesus and the ministry that He's called us to, that we're still in, involved in this mop-up effort that we began to talk about last week, that, that uh, Jesus has dealt uh, the victorious blow to the evil one, but until His return, there's still some things for us to do and, and so what I want to do is look at the scripture together today and talk about what it means to live in between uh, the two ages, uh, the now and the not yet. We're going to talk more about this age and the age to come. Now remember, this is where I left you last week and uh, I, I hope you can hang with me here. I know it's, uh, it's a little tough, but just, just stick with me and a lot of scripture, but I, I, I'm hoping for many of you some light bulbs will go off. And uh, it will impact you forever uh, in your walk with the Lord. Last week I began, uh, or I finished up that last uh, message, talking about two ages. That we live, uh, that, that there's this present age and the age to come. And we began to look at Scripture, and I said that and part of the problem has been in the Scripture is that sometimes they translated the word aeon or ion. Uh, they translate it world instead of age. And so sometimes we have the idea of this, that we're talking about two worlds, you know, this world and the world to come, which is how it's often translated in Scripture. But that's not what uh, Jesus was saying. He's talking about this age and the age to come. And we began to look at some verses last week. Um, that's what this actually starts with. We looked at Matthew 12:32 uh, in the King James. It says, uh, uh, neither in this world nor in the world to come. Or, but in Matthew 12:32, it's, Translated this age or the age to come, a better translation in that case. Love the King James, not picking on the King James, just saying in this particular case, it's a better translation. 
And uh, then we looked at Ephesians 1.21 that talks about uh, this present age and the one to come. Mark 10.29 through 30, again, talking about this age and the age to come. And my beginning, you know, sort of thing that I was talking about was that uh, it's definitely two ages that we're talking about and not two worlds. Now, what I want to do is, with these uh, help of these diagrams, is to trace this concept a little further and... uh, I'm going to look at my watch now. I'm going to try and keep this into about 20 minutes. I hope we can get through all four diagrams today. If not, I will pick it up uh, next week. But uh, I get most excited as we work our way through diagram number four. And, uh, and that's what we're shooting at today. Okay. So these two ages, this age and the age to come, um, we're going to find out they're separated by the second coming of Christ. Um, we will refer to that from time to time as the parousia. That's another way of saying the second coming of Christ. Jesus has come. We're waiting for his return. And apparently that's one of the cornerstones or one of the big things about what's going to separate these two ages, this age and the age to come. Matthew 24, 3 says, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so his return is the end of this age. And another marker of it is the resurrection from the dead. This verse is found in Luke 20, verse 34 through 36. Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are the children of the resurrection. And so uh, not only will the second coming uh, terminate this age, but also the resurrection from the dead. And so you can look at diagram one if you want. The C stands for creation. Then you see the line moving through this age. The, the P is for the parousia, the return of Christ, the R, the resurrection from the dead. Then we'll enter into the age to come. Now, let's uh, spend a little bit of time talking a little bit more about what the Bible tells us about these two ages, because what we're going to find out is they are in sharp contrast to each other. This age is dominated by evil, wickedness, and rebellion against the will of God. The age, of, uh, the age to come is the age of the kingdom of God. Galatians 1.4 says, uh, He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Jesus uh, gave himself to rescue us from this present evil age. This age is an evil age. It's an age in which people need deliverance, a deliverance which can only be accomplished by the death of Christ. The second chapter of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 and 2, talks more about the age. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work at those who are disobedient. And so the character of this age bears the stamp of the power of the air, that is the, the evil one, Satan. Galatians 5:19 and 21 spills it out, spells it out even better. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So again, we're seeing a description of this present evil age. 
Um, and we, we see in the parable and, and of the of the soils um, that that really the uh, the character of this present angel age is to choke choke out the word of God, uh, and that's what is desperately trying to take place. Matthew thirteen seven uh, it says this: uh, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Matthew thirteen twenty two Jesus it gives the the, uh, the description of what that means. He says the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out, making it unfruitful. So the care of this age is not alone the anxiety of of making a living. It's the entire spirit which characterizes this age. Worry and anxiety about one's physical life, to be sure, but also the pressure, the drive of ambition for wealth, success, prosperity, power. All this is involved in the care and the burden of this age. This age is hostile to the gospel, and people often yield in conformity to this age rather than to surrender to the claims of the gospel. And so there's a conflict between this age and the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, very important in verse uh, describing this age is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. And uh, we touched on this a little last week. It says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God, little g God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That verse tells us very clearly that the evil one, Satan, is the little g God of this age. And, and in God's sovereign purpose, the, the evil one has been permitted to exercise a great deal of authority and power throughout the duration of this age. Uh, he, that's permitted so that people can choose. We, we've hit on this before. You, you know, see, God wanted people that chose to worship him, to love him. That's why he gave us that, that, that ability to make choices. And, and so we have to choose to love God. We have to choose to accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives. We have to choose to do that. And, and, and so um, the enemy is, has been allowed some uh, opportunity to do stuff uh, as, as part of the, of the choice. Uh, and, and, and yet you need to know in that whole idea. See, sometimes people think of this, this sort of cosmic uh, dualism as though God and Satan, good and evil, were two eternal principles. Um, you need to know in back of all things stands the eternal God. Uh, the enemy has just been allowed to do what he's doing now in, in order for people to make choices. And uh, if God were the only choice, then nobody, you know, uh, do you understand the, the, the dynamic that's at work? People have to choose to love and worship God. So, um, look at that verse again, Second Corinthians 4, 4, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's the cosmic conflict. This age is in direct conflict with the age to come. Now, here's a, a very interesting verse, I think, that ties uh, all these concepts sort of together. It's Mark 10, 17 through 30. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared that these, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. 
One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, uh, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, now clue into this, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And Peter said to him, We've left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields from me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Um, in, in this verse, we, we discover that, that eternal life, the kingdom of God, salvation, the age to come, all belong together. So we, we find that uh, the age to come is in sharp contrast to this present evil age. They're not on the same level. This age is evil. The age to come will witness the fullness of God's kingdom, the perfection of his reign. And therefore, what we need to do is we need to change our diagram a little bit and put the age to come on a higher level than this age. So if you look at diagram two, you're going to see that that's what we've done now. We started creation. We have this age at the Parousia the second coming of Christ, we see a, a huge difference. And then the age to come, an absolutely different sort of age. Now, let's, let's talk about this some more because the transition is a little more difficult than the diagram suggests. We've got a little thing we've got to tie in here uh, that we find out about in the book of Revelation. And it's a little thing we call the millennium. See, we know from Scripture that we're going to enter this, picture, this period of a thousand years when Jesus returns where he'll be in charge of everything here, and, and, uh, and then things are all going to come to a conclusion. So how does that fit in to our diagram? Uh, Revelation 19, verse 11 and following, says, I saw heaven standing open. There before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes wars. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thighs, he has the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, this takes place after Jesus comes back. Now, before the age to come, however, we, we see in Revelation 21, verse 1 through 7, we see this verse. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. And he who overcomes will inherit all this. And I will be his God and he will be my son. In between these two verses, there's this period that I was referring to called the millennium. Where the saints are raised to, raise with, to reign with Christ for a thousand years. That verse is in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient servant, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked it and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which those were seated who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their heads or their hands. Pardon me. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in this first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, for they will be priests of God and of Christ will reign with him for a thousand years. This interval is known as the millennium. Now, uh, some verses, when you read, particularly the Old Testament, they don't really make note of this thousand years. They, they sort of see the great day of the Lord, uh, of the Lord's return, and they're talking about it at a single moment. Um, but we, we talk about that by this. That's sort of known as the, the uh, biblical prophetic perspective. When you're way back in time and you're looking forward to events that happen, it's kind of hard to tell that they're happening not at the same time. And so what's taking place here looks like it all happens from the, from the Old Testament perspective at the same time. But there's this, this gap in between called the millennium, separated by two resurrections. Let's talk about that. The first resurrection, Revelation 24 and 5, uh, says, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years. And this is the first resurrection. So there's one resurrection. Then there's a second one. At the end of this thousand years, Revelation 20, verse 12 and 13 says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. So we need to modify this diagram once again. And if you look at diagram three, you'll see what's happening now is that we've had to add this uh, space for the millennium. Now what happens is what we're seeing here is there's an overlap between this age and the age to come. While it's true that, that the enemy is bound for that thousand years, at the end he's let back out again. And you say, well, why is that? Well, in this thousand year period, um, uh, more people are made, people enter into it. Uh, apparently some people make it through um, that uh, uh, have, have come to Christ at some point. And we could discuss that a lot of different ways. Um, during the tribulation or whatever, they've entered into this thousand-year period, and they're not the people coming back in their glorified bodies with Christ in the first resurrection. It's people that are left. And uh, um, they continue to have kids and, and do the things that people do. Uh, although Jesus is now in charge of the government, it's a perfect place. Again, we have this little opportunity, this thing about choice, see? And, and even in a perfect 
society in place with Jesus at his head, some people will still choose to not follow God. And so the enemy is, is released for a little season at the very end so people can have the opportunity to make that choice again. And then it's going to be dealt with once and for all. But what I wanted you to see was there's this overlap between this age and the age to come. Now, if this was all there was, we would have hope for our future, certainly. But there's more to it than that, and that's what I wanted to get to through this whole thing. See, there's this other overlap that we have to talk about. And this is what makes everything that we do sort of make sense um, when, when we are, are living for the Lord. Uh, and so you can turn your pages over to the other side and, and begin to look at diagram four. Hebrews 6.5 says that uh, we have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age. See, the, the Scripture talks about that we've tasted the powers of the age to come. The age to come is still future, but we may taste the power of that age. Something has happened by virtue of which the, the power of the future has become present. The power of the age to come has penetrated this age. Now, listen, a taste isn't a seven-course banquet, but a taste is something absolutely real. It's more than a promise. It's experience. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So we have tasted the powers of the age to come. Look at this verse in Galatians 1, 4. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God, uh, our God and Father. He, he rescues us by the power of the age to come, which has reached back and projected itself in the person of Christ into this present evil age, so that we, by the power of the age to come, may be delivered from this present evil age. The same truth is found in Romans 12, verse 2, where it says, Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Bad translation. It should be this age. That's the word that we've been talking about, I own. <clears throat> Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. How could we possibly live in the midst of an evil age and not be conformed to it unless there was something to help us to do that? And again, what we see is the power of the age to come through Christ, making it possible for us to experience a new power that we might know and understand what the will of God is. Such things lead us to the following conclusion, that, that there's not only a future overlapping in the millennium, there's an overlapping that's already taken place. And, and look at diagram four. Uh, that's what happened at the resurrection of Christ. Um, and, and so there's this other overlapping where the power of the age to come has impacted this present evil age. And, and so we live in this period now called the now and the not yet. It started at the resurrection of Christ and continues until his return and then continues until the end of the millennium when everything is taken care of and everything is restored the way it should be. Now listen, I, I've got that verse in big letters for you on the back of, of uh, on this page where diagram four is. Because uh, this verse explains this diagram. Uh, it says in 1 Corinthians 15:22, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. Now pay attention. Christ, the firstfruits. 
We've even looked at that in some of our studies. That's the resurrection of Christ that he's talking about. Then when he comes, talking about the parousia, those who belong with him. That's that next period of time. Then the end will come. That's the end of the millennium. When he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so he comes and he hands back the kingdom of God to the Father when it's all back to the way that God always intended it to be. And now everyone that's in will have chosen to be in. They'll be in the kingdom because they've chosen to worship God and to love God. They've made that clear-cut choice. They've exercised their, their ability to make choices, and they've chosen God. And so it will be a perfect place because he'll make it that way. So, so what we have to see, though, is that this tension. See, the, the, the power of the age to come has made itself present today, not in its fullness, but in some part. And that's what's so important in everything we do. That's when Jesus said, now you go and do these things as well. You, you go and do these things. He didn't leave us without the power to do those things. And so the Holy Spirit now is here to help us to go and to do the ministry that we've been called to do. Waiting for the return of Christ. But with a mission, not just waiting until he comes back with nothing to do, but with the mission that he gave us to go and to continue the things that he did, to do the things that he did. See, that's what this is all about. We're not just trying to get people into the kingdom so that they're, they're you know, saved, so that they're, they're okay for eternity. We're trying to get people in and say, okay, now we've got stuff to do, and everybody gets to be a part. Everybody gets to be a part of this amazing thing that Jesus is doing. We're all called to go and to pray for people and to encourage people and to, and to help people and, and to do all the things that Jesus wanted us to do. And so that's why we do it. And that's what's happening. And that's the tension we live in. And that's what's going on. And we'll continue to dig into this deeper. You've got all the scripture in there now that, that I needed you to have. Think about those things and we'll talk about this more in the weeks ahead. I look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you guys. Thank you for coming. Someone here pray for you or wherever you're at, I'm sure.